Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Join us in person or online for Canada's only occult conference. Visit Vancouver in beautiful British Columbia and help us leave lockdowns behind us and get back to life. The first of four D and Kelly conferences over the next four years support the Arcane Research Society in bringing excellence in academic scholarship and practical knowledge from some of the best scholars and occultists in the field. Featuring in 2024 this summer, Dr. Terry Burns, translator of Dr. John Dee's famous Monus Hieroglyphica. Dr. Burns has just completed a 52-video course on this mystical text, which you can watch on YouTube for free. Join us and experts Rufus Opus, P.D. Newman, J. Allen Moore, Daniel Rekshan, Frater R.C., and more for this exciting event which will explore the angelic and spirit-filled world of Elizabethan mages, Dr. John Dee, and the alchemist Sir Edward Kelly. Learn the secrets of drawing spirits into crystals, conjuration, and Enochian angel magic, as well as the role of dreams and their connections to these other extra-dimensional realities and alchemical transformation. Sign up today to attend online or in person, at enochiacon.com, presented by the Arcane Research Society. All right, welcome to Magic Without Fear is P.D. Newman. You're my guest here today to discuss angels in vermilion, amongst uh, other things, such as your new book, Theurgy, which is out now and uh, available. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I thought it would be fun to start off with just a, a quote from your book where you quote someone else. And this is Paracelsus. There are therefore two kinds of knowledge in this world, an eternal and a temporal. The eternal springs directly from the light of the Holy Spirit, but the other directly from the light of nature. It's such a beautiful passage. And... The book of nature is what we're here to talk about, really. From the Genesis all the way up to John D. and uh, and uh, Strassman in our own in the past century. No, in this century, it's this century, isn't it? Yeah, I remember hearing first about DMT and Strassman's work when I was in seminary. They talked about it in class. Some student mentioned it, and the teachers addressed it briefly, but no one really knew much about it. And I was going to get the book uh, after class that day when I went down to Banyan Books in, in Vancouver. And I just saw it on the shelf and just, I was like, I don't know. I just didn't know anything about it, so I didn't get it. And mm. I wish I had because it would have changed my life. It, fast forward from that day in the early 2000s to uh, 2019 after the Berlin Culture Conference, me and one of the coordinators had a, a Changa experience. Well, he was the shaman and I was the... the uh, Quester, and boy, did I have my entire understanding of reality fundamentally changed, which Isn't is a great? lot to say after the life I've lived. So, yeah, it it really was. DMT was um, before Strassman's book. You know, we had people like the McKenna brothers talking about it, uh, but if you weren't reading, you know anthropological literature and uh, ethnobotany and things it, it it really was kind of this big question mark for most of the world 
so the the beginning of of DMT in in our world isn't in the 20th century with the uh, intramuscular injection by is it Merker who who did that or someone Zara, else? Stefan Istvan Zara, Hungarian, yes. and he's accredited officially with discovering the psychedelic quali qualities of DMT. That's right. But as I learned in your book, Angels in Vermilion, the Philosopher's Stone from D to DMT, Cagliostro, Melusina, and all these other guys in the 17th and 18th century and maybe as late as the 19th century were putting people in coffins during the Russian and Egyptian rites of Freemasonry uh, along with some DMT. Is that That's correct? Right. Yeah. That's correct. So yeah. it wasn't that big of a discovery, really that we made in the 20th and 21st century regarding DMT, it seems. It was really a, just a rebranding. Why do you think it didn't catch on amongst broader Freemasonry? I think it did. I think it did, but it was kept um, kind of hush-hush. So the reason I think that it did is... When I began this research, I started reading through every version of the Master Mason degree that I could find, the Master Mason degree being the degree wherein Acacia is referenced. And I couldn't find a single reference to it prior to 1730s-ish. Um, nothing. You would find a reference to Cassia, um, but Cassia and Acacia aren't the same thing. And while Cassia does contain psychoactive compounds it contains eugenol and kumarin just like cinnamon does its use in the early form of the master mason degree seems to have more to do with the fact that it was used in the process of mummification in ancient egypt so it has to do with this death ritual that, that's being performed um and it's not until this man named John Theophilus de Sagulier becomes the, the third grandmaster of the premier Grand Lodge in, in London that he rewrites the Master Mason degree and inserts the acacia into it. The, the big question then becomes, why did he do that? And where did he get the acacia? And the answer to that is even more mind-boggling and outrageous. But the Masons that were present for this ritual change were so impressed by Desaguliers innovations that they had a parade for it. They all the Masons got out in the streets and walked in this huge parade playing music and carrying these giant, uh, 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 the, the, they're, they're the tracing boards, but they've got them on like pickets and they're they're showing for the first time. This is the first time that we have uh, in the in the literature. This this scene was drawn, sketched, uh, etched out. It's the first time we see the Master Mason tracing board with the acacia right there at the top, and they're carrying this on a big um, stick, walking through the streets, basically, you know, celebrating this change that he made and that wasn't that wasn't common that's not common now you know to something happens in masonry masons generally stay in the lodge but this caused a parade you know and and the cassia or cassis does cassia. that have a, cassia 
That's not the same as the gum arabic. No, so cassia is like cinnamon. It's from southern China and most of what people buy in the store in America as cinnamon is actually cassia. Mm. It's very hard to tell the difference. They're they're they taste, smell, look the same. Um and that's what's referenced. But it's not in the same context either, even though this death motif is present um, in the in the version that Desaguliers presented and the version he wrote, it's central to it. You're the 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 individual going through the mystery. He is playing the character just like you would in the ancient mysteries, where you would play the part of maybe Dionysus or Persephone. The character who is playing Hiram Abiff, who himself is a type of Osiris, Dionysus, he's buried beneath the acacia. He's in the roots of this tree. But that's not, but that came into masonry along the way. It wasn't there in the beginning. That's did, right. It was right. not present in the and beginning. So, what does that really represent? Is it a, a rebirth uh, of alchemy or an entrance of alchemical practitioners? like Ashmole, into the Masonic? It definitely comes from alchemy. Alchemy feeds into masonry at this point. So we have, to really to really get the big picture, at least for this section, this part of it, we have to go back to the earliest days of alchemy, which is in um, Panopolis in Egypt, which is modern-day Akmeen. And there's an, a man named Zosimos. And Zosimos is, by trade, he makes statues. He makes statue statuary for temples. And he animates them. He's a statue animator. And what I mean by this isn't that he makes some mechanical statue that moves like a robot. He instills them with anima, as in soul. He's ensouling statues with the gods that those statues are built to represent. And this is important because it plays into what alchemy became and what he thought of alchemy as. So he has a student, a woman named Theosabia, and she is learning astrology. And she's in the process of learning astrology from the Egyptian priesthood. And she is learning from Zosimos, because she's studying alchemy under him, that she shouldn't be doing astrology. He tells her that astrology is the means by which basically the archons, because he's a Gnostic Christian, these archons enmesh men further into fate, further into matter. But that alchemy is designed to take the soul out of that, relieve it from the fetters of matter and make it no longer subject to fate. And so what he starts teaching her is all of this stuff about metallurgy, about metals and minerals and things. And she doesn't get it. She says, I don't, I don't understand what this has to do with anything. Uh, you know, what does this have to do with me learning astrology? How does this have anything to do with my soul? <laughs> and to, answer her he he literally draws her a picture he draws her a book of pictures it's called mushaf asuvar which translates to the book of pictures and in it he explains that the techniques of alchemy 
to protect them from the idly curious are concealed under terms of a an art of a practice whose processes are analogous to those of alchemy. And for him, that's metallurgy. That's what he knows. So he's concealing alchemy under metallurgical terms. And he's talking to her about cinnabar, this red mineral that you, it's basically sulfur and mercury. And that, that's and what the Sufis called the red sulfur, right? The red sulfur. That's right. Well, he, he's telling her about cinnabar, but after he explains to her what he means, he goes on to say that, you know, that what, what this really is, is acacia. Acacia is this red wood that contains the philosopher's stone in it. The, the, so the, the big mystery in alchemy is what is the prima materia? What is the first matter? Because if you can figure that out, then you can get the Philosopher's Stone from it. And with that, you can, quote unquote, transmute base metals into gold. You can tincture them. And so he reveals that it's really acacia that they're, that they're doing this with. And that it's from acacia that this stone comes from. Well, in the same region, another text emerges called the Turba Philosophorum, very famous alchemical text. It yeah, was I just went through it recently in Burns's course. Okay. It, it was the first alchemical text to reach Europe. And it originates in Panopolis, in modern-day Acme, where Zosimus lived. It's part of the, his same lineage, his same transmission. And in this document... We have all of these philosophers. It's usually translated, Turba is translated as assembly of the philosophers, but Turba doesn't mean assembly. It means more like they're arguing, the argument of the philosophers. And you have all of these philosophers from all these different times. It's impossible to take place because you have Parmenides, Empedocles, Xenophanes, and then you have Plato and Aristotle and Moses all of these philosophers that are arguing with each other about what is the philosopher's stone, what is the prima materia. And Moses interjects and he says, well, I'll tell you, you know, exactly what it is, you know, and he, he says, when we talk about copper, this red metal, what we really mean is acacia, this red wood. And it's from acacia that we produce the substance that causes the action. And this is the kind of thing that, and we know that D had this in his possession. He quotes it at one point. He quotes the turbo where it says, nature rejoices in nature. So we know that he was reading it, that he had access to this document. And D and Kelly, of course, get together. And D's big thing is he wants to talk to angels, largely for political reasons. But he isn't able to. He can't, he can't get them to talk back to him. And so he gets in the habit of employing these scryers, seers, who can see and talk to them. And he goes through several that he's not happy with until finally a man comes to him, which is Edward Kelly. And he says, I can do this. I can do this for you. Well, he doesn't say it at the time, but the reason he sought D out in the first place was because he was in possession of this red powder. The red powder isn't named. We don't know what it was. But along with it, he had this manuscript known as the Book of Dunstan. And Dunstan was the father of monasticism in Europe. And he was also a metallurgist. 
Um, yeah, so sort of back to apparently from battling the devil in his tiny cell that's right, that's that he right. couldn't stand up in, and dragging him out, dragging him out by his by the blacksmith tongs by his nose. That's the same Dunstan. Great, great story, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and metallurgy and alchemy have a long history together. Like we said, Zosimos is a metallurgist. He's a statue statue maker, and so. Kelly is under the impression that this manuscript, this book of Dunstan, has the, tells them how to make more of this red powder, but it's in a cipher he can't understand. Well, that's why he approaches D. He doesn't unveil this until years later, but he tells D, I, I'm your man. I can, I can talk to angels. And he's immediately successful. And anyone who has thumbed through the Enochian papers realizes this something was going on uh, between those two men and those angels. Something was taking place. Uh, but how they were accomplishing it wasn't really spelled out. And this is where it gets really interesting to me. Um, so after Dee and Kelly part ways, a man named Elias Ashmole, an antiquary from Litchfield who happened to be one of the earliest speculative masons. And by that, I mean, not an operative mason. But prior to this, masonry was a guild and anyone involved in it were building houses, cathedrals. They were active builders. But for some reason around this time, they started admitting men who are more like philosophers and hermitists and alchemists into the fraternity. Ashmole is one of these. And Ashmole has a keen interest in alchemy. He wrote two books on alchemy. Um, Fascaculus Chemicus was one, and the other is Theatrum Chemicum Britannicum, which was surprisingly successful. Um, and in, in that one, he actually has a piece from Kelly in there. It's called Sir Edward Kelly's Work. That's a phenomenal poem that is full of... Uh, subtle hints and references to what they were doing he, he makes references to to hermes tree the distilling the oil from hermes tree but so what what happens at this point is ashmole inherits all of these papers he becomes his archivist and immediately sets to work trying to make them work. He's doing Enochian magic to try and talk to angels, but he's unable to do it. He can't make it work. And he comes to the conclusion that it must be this red powder. This red powder that Kelly had must be the thing that allowed him to see angels. So he brings this problem to none other than Robert Boyle, the first chemist, the president of the Royal Society. And he says, I'm trying to figure out what this red powder is that you can talk to angels with. Well, lo and behold, Boyle is also researching a red powder that was in the possession of another alchemist named Wenzel Saylor, who, according to St. George Ash, got that powder from Edward Kelly when he met them in Prague. So Boyle and, and Ashmole are looking for the same thing, trying to figure out what this is. And being the scientific mind that Boyle was, he immediately thought, well, it's a physical substance that causes this supernatural effect, then it must be a drug. We This must be a, a drug we're looking for. And it's at this point that he issues a, a document 
that's known as Boyle's to-do list. It's also been called Boyle's wish list. And uh, it was put on display at the Royal Society in 2010. You can see it on their website. It is full of drugs. He wants to acquire different forms of hashish like dawa mesk and majun. He wants to find, he says, the fungus mentioned by the French author, literally magic mushrooms he wants. Any drug that will cause pleasing dreams, deep sleep, superhuman strength. He wants them all brought to him so they can test each one of them and see which one will cause this angelic revelation. So this is where Acacia comes in. In their possession at the Royal Society were the papers of an alchemist named Samuel Hartlib, who was a contemporary of Boyle. And in his papers, he says in no uncertain terms that the prima materia of, of alchemy is the Acacia. And from it, using this specific process, which he outlines, you get a crystalline stone. And that's 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 their cue. That's 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 how Acacia enters the dialogue to begin with, to start with. Well, among them was also Sir Isaac Newton, another scientist intensely interested in alchemy. He had a assistant who was this John Theophilus de Sagulier that became the third Grand Master of the Premier Grand Lodge in London. So he brings this acacia with him, this knowledge with him, and restructures the Masonic order, this, the rituals, based on what they discover with, with that acacia. Now, we don't know what they did with it. We don't know because there's no papers written up about it. You know, the curator of experiments at the time was um, uh, Robert Hook. And he does there he does have two lectures he gave on the psychological and physiological effects of hashish, trying it on himself from this era. You know, so we know they're going through the drugs, trying them. They're being presented to the, the Royal Society. But this appears to be where Acacia entered Freemasonry. And so that's why I say when you ask in the beginning, why didn't this catch on in regular Masonry? Well, I think the only reason Cagliostro really knew about it was because it had already caught on in regular Masonry. They were just I doing see. it kind of under the table, maybe, or were really keeping quiet about it. Uh, well, I mean, think about this. Um you and I are both experienced uh, journeyers into the hyperspace, which is what DMT users call that sort of spirit world is how I think of it, though. Um, you call me old fashioned, but uh, hyperspace is a good name. If you haven't actually experienced it, and I wrote it off for years because I was like, well, I've done other psychedelics. I don't need to do them all. You know, what? how different can it be? That's why right. I, I wrote it off for 15 years yeah but if i was imagining i was one of these royal fellows with their very hard laborious jobs testing drugs all day and i came across slaving away 
anything even similar to either a partial experience like a, a week changa trip or a full DMT breakthrough, if I came across that when I was testing things, I would I would lose my shit. Part of yep. my language, but I would fucking lose my fucking mind and be like, holy, oh my God, the universe is vast, infinite, and alive and intelligent, and we're a part of it. And I talk to this guy and he's like, I'm the spirit of love. Right. Or, and and they're they're he's like, I'm going to destroy your life. And they know it's a drug, but you have to think at the time there is no war on drugs. You know, there's the the biggest problems that that society had with drugs would have been anyone who drank too much, which wasn't really an issue because masonry started in a pub, you know, the drinking was the norm. There were some issues with laudanum and opium addiction, especially once they had colonized India because uh, opium was a real problem in those areas. But beyond those limited instances there is no concept of of holy shit i'm on a drug uh, they would have very much approached this like holy shit i'm seeing what ezekiel saw or i'm seeing what john of patmos saw you know this this would have these were religious men you know de sagulier was a minister um so they would have very much interpreted this as a proof of spiritual reality and i think that's really why he wanted to put it in masonry anyway was so that those being initiated into the fraternity would be able to act on gnosis not faith but gnosis to know for a fact there is a spiritual plane and that there are things that i do here that affect it over there once you know that once it clicks ritual all of the sudden becomes practical it becomes necessary in some cases you know whereas for someone who had no idea what ritual was most you know they're protestants they've cut out the liturgy they don't even know what ritual looks like so for masons coming in at that time ritual would have been such a a foreign concept that i'm sure there was a problem of why are we doing this you know, but but you give them a glimpse of the other side and all of a sudden it's like, oh, why haven't I been doing this? I might you you triggered my my uh, Anglo-Catholic cap coming on. And as, as an Anglican, I can tell you that the liturgy that they would have experienced is far more similar to the traditional Roman rite than anything we see even in a Roman Catholic church today. So they were experiencing something far more similar to what we'd consider the old Tridentine Roman Rite than what we're seeing today. So well, these guys are Protestants, though. Yeah, not Protestant Anglicans, though. I, 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 because this is just really, I don't want to get into it, but the Anglican Church is very clearly divided, but still one into High Anglicans, which are very similar to Catholics, Low Anglicans, which are very Calvinistic Protestants. You'll see like suit and tie, common clothes. But again, the the clothing thing is something is a, is a recent development. So back then, like like the little black collar is just the cravat that shrunk over time. The, the churchman just didn't give it up, but it comes from the cravat. It's not anything special, that little white square that we use. But the right would have been, yeah, they would have had, they would have been seeing huge, what we would call Catholic masses is all I'm saying. You could have gone to church. I didn't imagine that. Yeah, I, I yeah. Imagine so that. 
it was Catholics, all there. It was all know, happening. They had all kinds of denominations. Like you had the Methodists coming, you know, doing their thing outside in the fields. And, and that's uh, what they were. That that's they were the Methodist variety. Yeah, that, that's why there was such a wide variety. It's not like they they would have they when they thought of the mass. If they thought of the mass, they would have seen the extravagant mass that we imagine today, but seldom get to behold. Um, right, I know, like Pascali, the Elu Cohen, those guys. You know, they were devout Catholics, and they they were going to mass every chance they had. But but James Anderson, De Sagulier, I think they were uh, Methodist ministers. Yeah, then they, they might have been, you know, they might have rejected it. They still would have seen it. But I think if they, they wanted to be familiar it, but, with ritual, they had very easy but, but access my, to complex ritual is all I am saying. Really, my, my, my point is they would have asked, why are we doing it? Yes, of course. Well, that's that's the whole point of this. Part part of my tangent, I just, you know, you put my Anglican hat on and, and I had to educate the world as to my fabulous denomination i'm definitely not educated when it comes to anglican i i'm personally um uh, orthodox and i was raised southern baptist which was a nightmare in itself but uh but yeah. anglican i'm sorely uneducated in yeah well i think that they're really just one of the few denominations that let you be a heretic and and still be forgiven <laughs> i i find the idea though that Kelly came into the relation with D. Well, he wasn't using the powder to see visions. It certainly not in the beginning scryings, and there's no reference to it later on. Originally, my my belief was, well, they would have mentioned it in the diaries because there was no laws against drugs. But then Leach pointed out to me when I talked to Aaron, right? He that that they were showing them to the nuncios, of course, and that they was, still could have been in trouble for for pharmacy or witchcraft, actually, if they were using ointments and cunning craft so and they so mentioned actually, they mentioned a reason to keep reference to it out of the diaries i'm sure so, you you remember the section where they want they're trying to contact the angel and an angel comes but he says your your apothecary box is empty how do you purport to contact me and the, and then he says something like i guess you'll have to the ointments will have to do, you know. Yeah, so so this is where it, you quoted that from Chris Bennett's Lieber 420 um, in your book right here. His You quoted Chris Bennett's passage, and he's quoting Whitby. Um, and I couldn't find it in Whitby, though I'm sure it actually is there. And what's really funny, you're going to love this, brother. You're going to love this. So you, find, you can find it in the back, but it's in the appendices, the extra days. And here's the the most far. So if Chris had actually gone to the Peterson, you know, thing, or if you had, if you had realized Chris Chris's citation was slightly off and gone to this yourself, you guys would have noticed that. that well, I actually got it from Peterson, but okay, we Just lost. Don't. We we had a house fire. I lost all of my books. Yeah, because there's no citation. But so anyway, the cool thing is, to, so this is what do. you have to say. You have to say this in the second edition of this that's coming out because you're going to love it. So the oh, let me let me have it. Hit me. Reference to the drugs occurs right here. Where is it? Right here on. April 20th. Oh, that's a good date. How, how wild is that? And Chris would have jumped right on that too. Yeah, but you know, Chris in primary source material. 
God love him. Um, yeah, so so very interesting. And it, uh, it took me a while to figure out who was saying what to whom. Um, but what does appear, uh, it, and it's very confusing. What I what I could figure out is that I have no idea why they're talking about drugs. It looks like one of the might the one of the wives might need a, an an ointment for her health or something like that. Mm. Um, but I yeah, please. Uh, I, I I really hope I, I'd love a further investigation of that in your second edition. That would be absolutely delightful because it is a very interesting passage. It stands out, especially as it's the only single time that the word drug or drugs is used as far as anyone can find in the diaries. As, right. April 20th. Let me grab my April. book. I've got it. Hang on. So it's the first page right after the, in the, of the appendix It's very easy to find actually the first page of the appendix. Thank you. Buddy. It was so much fun. I hope people are enjoying this. All right. Tell me the page you're on. Uh, yeah, so it's a uh, page three six four. But the actual reference is three six six. B R O G G S. Three six six. Drugs. Drugs. So Illamese, the spirit, the Illamese, the spirit says. I know what all your talk hath been, but such minds, such infection, such infection, such corruption, and must needs have a potion applicable for the cure. But how will you do? I have forgotten all my drugs behind me. But since I know that some of you are well stored with sufficient ointments, I do intend to visit you only with their help. You see all my boxes are empty. Then dash E.K., he showeth a great bundle of empty potichery boxes, and they seem to my hearing to rattle and then detox. So, yeah, interesting. That's eh? in the book. That's in Angels and Vermilion. Yes, that's what I, I showed the page. I showed where you referenced Chris Bennett citing that place. Oh, you're telling me this is where the original is. That's where it actually comes from, and it's gotcha. been cited in other places. And yeah, yeah, yeah. By going to the original, you find out it happened on 420. Yeah, that's fascinating. The only have, reference have read... to the D's diaries, to drugs in D's diaries, was on 420. How do you like that? Read... Well, I can't. It's not showing up. Um, Eckhart Schausen's principles of, uh, it's called magic: the principles of higher knowledge. I don't know the book personally. Okay. Well, he, he's famous for writing Cloud Upon the Sanctuary. That was a one of the Crowley would have you'd have to read that in the student grade in AA. Um, but he gives a list. First, he gives a theory on why drugs are magical, what they're doing physiologically. But he gives a list of different drugs that as I researched each one of them you know i wondered if some of the things because this is a, two centuries after d one and a half two centuries but when he talks about the ointments you know well the ointments i tend to associate with flying ointments you know mandrake and and things like that well he gives ointments in here that are based on the acacia acacia ointments that are used and oh, that's some huge, of the ones isn't he, it? he gives us um it gives us a lot of context he says uh methrodotes which is, is, is those were the only re there's one recipe left for a methrodotes that 
It involved rue, leaves of rue, probably savage rue, Syrian rue. Um, it involved opium and something else. And then he gives something called theriax. Um, and I can, off the top of my head, I can't tell you what's in each one of them. I, I have them broken down in a paper, which I can forward you. But he says trifera, um, laudanum paracelsi. We know what that is. Uh, Diascordium, felonium, and pilule de sinoglossa. And sinoglossa means tongue of the dog, hound's tongue. But at least three or four of those um, were sold as women's medicines for, for cramps, for, um, for to help with birth, things like that. And they involve vast concentrations of acacia in them. So, you know, when he say, when he says, you know, my my boxes are empty, you know, but he, but he has the ointments. That's a whole new rabbit hole now that I'm going to have to crawl my way down. And the spirit is the one that has forgot its drugs, right? What does that mean? You know. I mean, I'm I'm very grateful to you and Chris Bennett for bringing this stuff to my attention and to our attention because I want answers. And I've been like a dog with a bone on this subject since, you know, find, meeting you guys and finding out about your work and everything. And it makes me think of, you know, so let's let's put it let's put it in a context. We'll look at it logically. With the Theosophical Society. You've got the, these hidden masters, right, that are purportedly real men, but they're spiritual adepts, and they can appear or not appear, and can appear as though they're angels because they're etheric and things like this. Well, in Olcott's Old Diary Leaves, he talks about this, this moment where I think it's Hilarion, one of the hidden masters, comes to his apartment and he's living in an apartment directly above Blavatsky. And this is a real person knocking on his door. And he, the first thing he does is offers Alcott a cigar and Alcott lights the cigar. And instantly he's in an infinite cube of space Everything disappears, and there are flat bouquets of flowers floating through the air, like much like I would imagine the vi visuals on you know mushrooms almost look like floral patterns. But it starts. He he thinks it, it must have rained that the 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 guy made it also rain. This master made it rain on him because. Once he finally comes back to himself after a couple of hours, he notices that his cigar is soaking wet. Now, this, think about that. I mean, it's, the guy gave him the cigar. Whatever he smoked made the cigar wet, like a Mickey, like, you, you, like if we smoke DMT. It melts, right, and turns into a liquid, 
and causes these vast experiences, much like what he describes. Now, when the Theosophical Society was first formed, we have letters that uh, a good example of easy place to see them is in Mitch Horowitz's book on uh, American occultism. I can't remember the title. Where they're talking about why they're founding the Theosophical Society. And they're saying that it's because they want to resurrect the work of Cagliostro. They want to bring back what Cagliostro was doing. So right from the get-go, they're wanting to implement Cagliostro's system. And if you read his work, central to his system is that acacia. It centers around that acacia. Well, John Patrick Davini, fantastic scholar, he... He talks about the two theosophical societies. The first theosophical society was founded in New York with Alcott Blavatsky. They had a vice president named George Felt, who was a chemist, and they had a textbook. This textbook was written by a woman named Emma Harding or Hardinge Britton. She's famous for having written a, a book called um, Ghost World, I think. It's been years. It's an incredible book. If you haven't read it, read it. it. It'll blow your mind. But she also wrote a book called Art Magic. And in this is the earliest reference to psychedelic mushrooms being used as psychedelics. It's I think it's the 1850s. And she's talking about the best way to get in touch with spiritual hierarchies is to induce the trance condition. And the best way to induce the trance condition is to use the distillations of two or three acrid fungi. And so she's talking about using magic mushrooms to talk to spiritual beings. This is to be the textbook for the Theosophical Society. Well, they've got all these people present that are ready for a demonstration. They're like, let's do some magic, you know. And George Felt steps up and he says, okay, I've discovered this drug. I'm going to burn it on a charcoal and it's going to cause everyone in here to be able to see that elementals are real. You're going to see elementals. And in Alcott's old diary leaves, this happens. He does this. And it causes basically a riot. Everybody is so terrified. They they tear up the room. They evacuate. They're, you know, they want to immediately shut down the Theosophical Society, not do this anymore. And this is when Blavatsky steps up and says, Okay, we're not going to do practical magic anymore. We're going to reform, but we're purely speculative. We're just going to talk about the philosophy of this stuff. And they set all that aside. Coincidentally, Felt disappears. No one ever hears from him, sees him again. George Felt, the man who had this powder that caused this effect. I mean, when, when Alcott described the beings, he said they looked like something out of Francis Barrett's The Magus, if you know what those creatures look like. Fairy anthropoid demons, you know. But I'm saying all this because, you, like you said, the spirit's boxes are empty. Well, for them, this ascended master that handed him this cigar that soon as he lit it up, ends up in a cube of space with flowers floating around and his cigar is soaking wet you know, was were they talking to spiritual angels or was there someone involved? Were there people there that were playing this role, 
You know what I mean? There's so many questions. I mean, Kelly was a skilled magician. D constantly had to rein him in and say, no, you can't practice this. You can't practice that grimoire. You have to like rein it in. He clearly knew also how to scry. It's not surprising if you want to get into lore because he was born August 1st. And there's ancient lore that if you're born on like Lunasa or, or Imbolg or any of those very powerful special days, then you're gifted with second sight. So he is born on one of those special days on August 1st. And he's a competent guy. He like he was brought there with another guy. I just finished Wooly's biography uh, last month. So I'm fresh on this stuff and waiting for Glenn Perry's to arrive. Very excited. And it looks like, you know, he was, D was scrying with this guy, uh, Saul, right? And uh, it seems like these two other practitioners who knew D, one of them being Kelly or knew of D, they were like, oh, he's working with this guy who's not so great. We need to come and expose him and 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 actually get have you like someone was like, Kelly, you need to be working with D, not Saul. Let's go to D's house and and uh, help him out here. It sounded to me that's sort of what the vibe was, because, you know, if you were if you were I heard of a, a, a friend who was into the occult, but, you know, close to the queen. So I had to be careful, maybe um, and was working with someone who we knew wasn't like really that great and maybe admittedly wasn't that great and we knew we're like we would we would probably be like hey here's someone who could really help you out as a as a skilled magician to work with you and do high quality scrying and Claire, Kelly clearly wasn't on DMT the entire time he worked with John D doing seven eight hour scrying sessions all day long you just you, you can't be conscious for that long on it I mean I'm not convinced that they were using it at all that's where I'm coming from um I could be, I'm close to being persuaded that they used it sometimes, but yeah. I, I, but you're, you're thinking in terms of blasting off. I'm not thinking, I'm thinking more in terms of fumigation, you know, I, that, that it's it, something to subtly influence because we've used it this way. We've used it where we've had it burn for three, four five hours and just, you know, just add a little more on a little more on and you don't blast off that well, way, but you do two, get it's two hundred bucks a gram in Vancouver. We couldn't afford that. That would that would be a month's rent. You got to start making your own. <laughs> oh, that would be so complicated. I don't know how I could learn how to do that. It's the most on complicated YouTube. thing in the world. Um. So yeah, no, that that's what I wanted to say. Like that's one of the other interesting parts about the diaries. They never mention suffumigation, and as every scholar knows, the lack of complete lack of a mentioning of a thing is is often more important than if something's mentioned. That's right. that's so right. they it's and for music for magicians to not mention fumigation or what herbs they might be using is very odd. Is very odd. Even doing divine work like D was in, D, D wanted to go up. He didn't want to look down at all, according to the diaries, of course, in, in real life, who knows. But like, if you're just working with God and trying to be celestial or super celestial in a grip and language, right, you would still use incense, like frankincense and myrrh or something, where you might run out. There'd be probably some references. So it's very suspicious. They never mention fumigation. And, and a good argument would be because it was a very special fumigation. And in regard to the the possibility that these quote unquote angels could have been real men, much like Hilarion in the Alcott scenario, we do have them being given that crystal, that first scrying crystal that was later replaced. But you know, the one that's like almost like a locket on a chain 
Yeah, Dee's showstone, which is found in the corner. I mean, most people believe Kelly put it there and and then was like, you know, sort of gimmicked it. Well, but maybe it was just. I mean, but that, we, that's there. speculate. That's yeah. speculating. You know, okay. we can't. We can't prove either way, but the it, fact that they do have something materializing, you know, I, I've I've encountered a number of entities on DMT, and they've never handed me something that was still there <laughs> when it was over. You know, yeah. Though I have had weird interactions with physical reality, like oh sure, yeah, like I've had devices that were dead without batteries unplugged on the other side of the room turn blaze to life wow and then start speaking to me i totally believe well, it. well like the other beings that i'm engaged with the higher ones are like that tech those technology beings are the bad guys it was it was it was terrifying the whole experience i was like torn between a full breakthrough and pulled back by by this weird tech and to Gregory in the physical, my whole reality yeah. was like ripped apart. It was it was traumatic. But John wonderful. Lilly has some stories like that. You know, when he was on the airplane and shot up the ketamine and immediately starts talking to uh, uh, the Kohutek comet that's coming by that tells him that it's it's conscious and to prove it, it's gonna like I think it says it's gonna turn all the electricity, all the electrics off in the plane. And then all the lights go out and all the electrics go out on the plane and Lily's sitting there like, uh, okay, can we, can I not die, please? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I, I do believe in is entities, that's for sure. But I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the exploration of, uh, oh, look, it's 420 here now. Exactly. Enjoy. I, I, I wish I could join you. We'll uh, we'll reconvene for uh, part two tomorrow, and maybe it'll be an entheogenic journey that people can join us on uh, in their viewing. Who knows? So you are convinced of what? That they used it sometimes or all the time? I wouldn't say I'm convinced of anything. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of the red powder, and, and I do yes. think there is something to ash moles questions about it and once you start looking at the descriptions of the red powder um that it looks like um like glass or crystals and that when when you heat it up it runs and melts like wax yeah. when it gets cool it gets solid again yeah i mean very <laughs> suggestive if you read all the descriptions across, I love how you compiled. You quoted someone who compiled the different descriptions of it, right? And if yeah, you, Hel if you, I think it was Hel Helvetius. If, if you've ever seen DMT and you read through that, by the end you're just like, well, <laughs> it's it's unreal. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, and and when and when we have uh, an alchemical tradition with Zosimos and the Turbophilosophorum stating in no uncertain terms that it's acacia. And then D quoting Turbophilosophorum, so we know he read it. And then Heinrich Kuhnrath, another alchemist whom we, we haven't discussed yet, but he went and met with Kelly and spent time with Kelly and D. And afterwards, he made a statement where he, he was quoting Zosimos's teacher, Maria Prophetissima, where he says that the source of the stone is the same source as gum Arabic. Well, gum Arabic is from Acacia. And this is after he met with Kelly. Yeah. 
you know, did what did Kelly tell him about about it, if anything? But it's interesting that he would come to the same conclusion after meeting this man. Right. And and what I learned in Bur Dr. Burns's course is John D discovered the Zosimos material, right, in the Codex Marcianus, translated or transcribed himself a full copy in Greek. That's right. And the and a year later wrote the Monus Hieroglyphica. That's right. So, but the one thing Burns, uh, she's excited to read your book, she said, because she's not familiar with the entheogenic literature, I think, so much. And so she wasn't able to keep that question alive, I think, while going through the Monas. But going through the Monas uh, Hieroglyphica with the question of, like, he, he might have just learned about Acacia and DMT, perhaps. Art I'd love to have some time to sit with her and... Because, I mean, like I said, when I wrote Angels in Vermilion, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never written anything. And and my main concern was that if I don't write it down and something happens, this might be lost for another two, three hundred years, you know. And, and at the time, I really was in this odd, granted, I was tripping a lot, you know, but I was in this odd, uh, the synchronicities piled up so deep that a lot of the answers I found I wasn't looking for I was doing something else you know and it would come up out of nowhere that's how the Cagliostro thing happened you know I was homeless at one point my wife and I both lost our jobs of years when the economy crashed and within six months we were homeless and I had one book and it was the Count Cagliostro's Egyptian rite and I'm reading this book and and ha had no intentions or, or wasn't even thinking about Acacia. And he says outright, you know, that you, you drink this red liqueur, it's going to raise your spirit so you can understand what I'm going to say to you. Basically, as close as an 18th century person can get to saying, this is going to expand your consciousness and alter your perception. And then he tells him, this is the Acacia that you were given in the degree of master in ordinary masonry, and it is the prima materia. Well, as soon as I find that, I run to Arturo de Hoyos, de Hoyos, the grand archivist and grand historian of the Scottish Rite. And I said, look, I, look what I found. Uh, I think he's talking about tripping on DMT. DMT is in Acacia. He says, well, it's funny that you come to me with this because I'm in the process of translating the Russian Rite of Melisino. And he says basically the same thing, that the acacia is the prima materia and that they're burning it on a coal. And he calls it the the burning coal of, of Isaiah, you know, and I was like, how is that possible? You know, you know how the, the, the synchronicities can get so deep that you really do feel like and, like the Blues Brothers, you know, like you're on a <laughs> you're being led by God, you know. And remind me again what the Ark of the Covenant was made of. It's not just that, man. It, you know, so the Egyptians, when they 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 want to worship Osiris for the public, they would make a box out of acacia, carried on poles, gilded, covered in gold, and it was full of red cakes, according to Budge. Red cakes are inside this thing that represent the body of Osiris. Well, Moses is raised by those guys. And when he runs away, what he basically does is starts a renegade priesthood. The first thing he does is build, let's build that box out of acacia. Let's gild it, put it on poles. Let's put the manna bread inside of it, you know. And 
when he, th this is the best part. So when Moses sees the burning bush, the Hebrew isn't burning bush. It's Leba Sena. Sena literally means acacia. Sena is acacia. That's the translation in the Hebrew dictionary. Leba doesn't mean burning as in flaming. It, it means to, to glow with a spectral presence. So like a, a glowing acacia that's talking to him. Well, if the reader missed that illusion, he doubles it. He reinforces it. Instead of a burning bush, now we see fire on the mountain. Well, the mountain that he climbs is Mount Sinai. And when you look at the same Hebrew dictionaries, the etymological root of Sinai is Sena. So he's climbing the acacia. And the fire he encounters on the mountain is basically the fire on the acacia. Well, the best part, he comes down from that mountain and he's got horns, you know, and there's there's argument about this because the word that's used to mean horns can also mean showing with light. But I think both are probably the case. That it's not th horns. It's like a crown of thorns. He's named himself the 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 mouthpiece of this spirit. He's become consubstantial with the object of sacrifice, just like in indigenous cultures, they like coming down as a bull. Well, when he comes down, he finds the Hebrew Israelites doing what? Worshiping a golden calf. Well, they don't pull that out of a vacuum. They just left Egypt. There's The golden bull in Egypt is the apis bull, a golden bull that is was subsumed by Osiris in Memphis. He is a form of Osiris. Well, Osiris is what? The deity that is trapped inside of the acacia. Well, when Moses catches them worshiping this thing, do you remember what he does? What he had them do? He grinds it into a powder, mixes it with like, water, and it. makes them all drink it. Drink it, yeah. Why would he do that? You know, it's almost like he's saying, you don't worship it, stupid. You eat it. You know, this is, you, you're missing the whole point. So, most of them looking at it, put it in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and the, I think his name's, um, that's for the Fiamont, there. a French, a French, um, scholar, Fiamoth, Fiamoth. Um, but he talks about how, Statue of, statues of Osiris were always made in acacia, and then they'd be gilded. And in honor of this, statues of the deceased would be made in acacia to align them with Osiris. So it, it, that means that that bull was probably made out of acacia and then gilded, just like the Ark of the Covenant was. So when he ground it into powder and mixed it with water, that's exactly how you extract the stuff. That's how you make it in the first place. When Osiris is trapped in the tree and it's cut up into planks, those planks are thrown into the Nile. That's step one, how to make DMT class. You know, like you chop the wood up, you put it in the menstruum and let it extract. Well, if the pH is right, the DMT unhooks from the plant and now it's suspended in that menstruum, in that fluid. So that means part of what you put in there doesn't come back out, right? Well, guess what gets lost when Osiris gets thrown in that water in the Nile? His phallus, it's gone. It's lost to the water. The generative principle, the power of it is still suspended in that fluid, right? I mean, what Moses was doing 
was creating a renegade priesthood for his Hebrew Jewish brethren and family that he felt like they were missing out on in Egypt and being raised by those priests was very, I'm sure was hit to what they were doing and why the Osiris mythos was so significant, so important. The same reason that Zosimos latched on to that same plant, you know, who, again, according to Grimes, Zosimos was a priest. Right. So even if you framed it in a, from from the an academic perspective where Moses is a legend and not a real person even if you look at it from that perspective you have egyptian temple practices using essentially the acacia and therefore forms of dmt prominent in egypt and therefore they migrate into the the hill countries of cana and the tribal cultures there out of which you know israel formed is one it would be an academic way of saying it because there's no moses in and we, we get it in, according in, to a lot of scholars and again this is sure, still a debated sure. thing and so that's I'm, a I'm not taking a side here folks just saying even that's a valid like, argument oh, that's a that's what if i'm just saying for all those people like moses didn't exist so throw we're throwing out the argument no i'm just saying there's a trans so there's a transmission of technology here and it has to do with the acacia and i had no idea there was any Egyptian roots for that, but again, I haven't read Zosimos yet. I'm, I'm reading the Churton book on El early alchemy before I read Shannon Grimes' uh, Becoming Gold. So it's going to be a fun uh, rest of the year journey for me. Last year was was spent all in psychology and druidry, studying Doctor Edwards' work. I put like ages into that, and this year's got a whole new focus. Well, I don't know why. Well, let you see it. We'll get you a copy of Raphael Patai's The Jewish Alchemists. Okay, it's a, it's a phenomenal study, and it goes really deep into all this. I, I but like you can that. see how, you know, the the we there's a similarity thing happening with these motifs. Osiris is dismembered as the tree and thrown into the Nile. Well, Dionysus, Dionysus, the etymology of Dionysus is Dio Enisa, which means God tree, or the God in the tree, just like Osiris. When we get to Christ, Christ, he has a symbolic dismemberment when he feeds the multitude with the bread and the fishes. The fishes represent, the two fishes have always represented the sign of Pisces, which is when he was conceived in Easter. And the, the five loaves are, in Jewish practice, there are, I think, 11 or 12 loaves offered, five of which signify the high priest. Well, Christ is that new high priest. So by dismembering himself to these people, he's participating in this dismemberment motif that circles these gods of, of drugs, of, of acacia and of wine. And, and, you know, Christ is, his association with wine doesn't even need to be stressed. But when he's on that tree, instead of being in the tree, he's nailed to the tree and on his head is a crown of thorns. Well, acacia means thorn. When Dioscorides named the species, he named it after its most defining characteristic, which were its thorns. So, Akakia means thorned. That, that crown that we talked about with Moses, he comes down and he's got horns, or does he have thorns on his head? We, you know, it, there's all this ambiguity there that seems like the tradition at least survived symbolically. You know, and and which would explain why, in 
some factions of masonry, you really do have these individuals that believe they're participating in the true form of Christianity. You know, the, the, it was lost, but masonry preserves it because, of course, Christ was called what? A tecton, um, which people will translate as carpenter. It doesn't mean carpenter. It means he was a builder. He was a, a craftsman, just like it with in masonry. But it, it it explains a lot when you look at it in those terms. Now, I'm of course, I'm not saying the Jews were using DMT or Christians were using DMT, but and I don't even have proof that the Egyptians were using DMT. But I am thoroughly convinced that Zosimos interpreted it that way. And in doing so, instigated a tradition that fed into masonry eventually. And along the way, it passed such bright luminaries as John D., Edward Kelly, Elias Ashmole, Robert Boyle. Yeah, so, the, so I'm not, like I said, I'm not convinced of anything, but I also have yet to encounter a better explanation. That is a fundamental problem with all of this, in my opinion. And and it's and I don't think you can get there without actually having had experiences with DMT personally, unfortunately, because once you have and once you look at everything from that perspective, it's so convincing that this is the thing which maybe gave birth to religion. Right. <laughs> Metaphysics itself. And I, I think Terrence McKenna, Terrence McKenna, when he said, if this isn't the answer, I don't think I'm interested in the question anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. What did, what did he call, what did he call it? Uh, orange, orange, uh, mothballs, mothballs, mothballs. It, it yeah. just reshapes your reality. And and for people like who are in doubt of the existence of other realities or spirits or anything like that, it's just it's kind of a panacea to that. If it doesn't convince you, then nothing will. Um, I think maybe. Uh, I agree. Yeah, and uh, that's why I think it's just sort of this human birthright that has been that it kind of explains the war on drugs and everything else and the the urge to keep these things uh, sequestered away from us plebs and uh, safely within the walls of. CIA's top secret programs, right? <laughs> Which of course they don't run anymore. Um, no, yeah, they they let go of that stuff after the hippies died out. That's right. Which also had nothing to do with the CIA. Nothing. Let's be the clear. Gra the Grateful Dead, San Francisco. That was not a psyop. And the Canadian Secret Service, CSIS, who probably is listening to this with China, they have nothing to do with the CIA. Also, and I love you guys so much. Thank you for being you. <laughs> I love Trudeau too. He is our fearless leader. Thank you so much, brave Trudeau, for protecting us. True North, strong and free. We might have to change the national anthem, actually, but we we love you. So, when was the first time you did DMT, and and how has that affected your your experience of what we call magic? Uh let's see. I had done LSD and mushrooms and mescaline hundreds of times um it wasn't until about 20 years ago that uh someone handed me some dmt and um nature provides eh mm -hmm. it was at a festival and 
we got there early and uh the second person to show up i was just trying to be kind i said hey let me help you set up your tent you know i helped him find a spot they ended up camping next to us and it turned out that he was a chemist that traveled with this band everywhere they went he went and he would hand out goodies to the crowd at a certain point and um he he let me know that he had some dmt and instantly my i felt like my heart stopped because i, I had been wanting to find dmt for years at this point it was the holy grail you know you couldn't find it back then and uh and so finally yeah he 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 turned me on and it was unlike anything like you can't compare it to lsd you can't compare it to mushrooms even though mushrooms psilocybin chemically is four phosphor or psilocin is four phosphoroxy nndmt so technically it should be something like that but it was not uh i was fully immersed in a dimension that I can only describe as like a cathedral mixed with a mosque with all of these different temple motifs and one thing. And I was overwhelmed with the feeling that we were all babies, infants, every human, like we're, we're in this very early stage of, of our evolution of growth and that if you're a human you are basically a baby and there were beings there that were tending to us um very feminine presence that was kind of like the daycare woman that you know and i knew her as soon as i saw her i knew her it was like oh i've always known this yeah i've always known this i don't know why i forget this so easy but it was that feeling of Oh, I've always known that I'm in this temple that's a daycare where this lady with a black veil over her face keeps me. And on the veil was a, a spider web in green knit. Um, it was wild. It, it, it changed, changed everything for me. Um, mainly because it was the first time I had an encounter with another being in that space. And, and, and that's the real clincher it is, you know, set and setting when Harvard declared that set and setting was what affected um, psychedelic trips. What they're really doing is giving a clinical term for ritual, ritual. magic. Yep. For ritual. Yep. And, yeah. and so it didn't take me long to learn that with the right mindset going in and with the, the right objects and things around me and music I could very much steer that ship where I wanted it to go and have encounters with you know Indian goddesses and 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 the the great thing about that is it is it's never like what you think it's going to be you know you can plan it as well as you want and you can be successful in getting there but the real surprise every time to me is that something is always communicated to me that I didn't anticipate that I didn't know wasn't looking for 
And to me, that's the real mark of magic, of successful magic, bringing back knowledge you didn't know to look for, you know. Yeah, absolutely. The the transmutation of consciousness from lead to gold, the the fact that this comes from from a tree that is not a tree producing a stone that is not a stone. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, how long have we known about this? And how many times have it, has it been forgotten and rediscovered in the West? Uh, it seems like a few, whereas many other cultures have had it for a very long time. And it does seem to be, in many ways, a cure to a lot of the modern spiritual ailments of our time, in my opinion. I, I, I agree. I, 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 it's sad to see how much it's all being abused. But again, like you said about us being babies... Mm -hmm. we're, we're even babies to this these uh these substances and technologies that are only that have been you know banned and and the science on them has been put back you know half a century if not more so we're we're we are like infants playing with these with fire um That's right. in a way and so as much as i like to say i think everyone should experience this stuff you can't really say that because you can't not everyone should even experience meditation as it turns out that's right. You know, uh, know thyself. I remember not too long ago reading an article about a guy that went to a Buddhist retreat just to, you know, take a vow of silence and just meditate for the weekend. And he had left in handcuffs and ended up in a mental institution because he he had never actually done a mantra in a meditation. And it it, it completely threw him for a loop. It's like, you know, when you meet those people or maybe you're in a relationship and you're just like, oh, if my partner would only open up to, to the see the world the way I see it, I know things would work out. It's like, maybe they'll kill you. Maybe <laughs> they'll, they'll lose their shit. Maybe some people who really are just, you know, what, what my mom and sister have always called pod people, usually in reference to our own family. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. You never know, man. Just, you know, maybe you want to leave. Maybe they're that's they need to be in the pod, right? Like some people need to be in the pod for this lifetime. It's where they're at, or, or whatever. Who knows? That's why I, I you, you don't tell want people I don't, I don't all the time about everyone to about silence with these organizations, masonry and stuff, where the injunction to silence. You know, lots I mean, of folks get it in their head that we're gatekeeping and you know but no i think it has more to do with preserving another's sacred right to ignorance you know it's cruel to rip somebody's carpet out from under them it's cruel to shatter someone's worldview and then expect them to walk home and still be able to get up in the morning and wear that mask you know i don't i just i don't think it's our place to do that and uh, I can think of a few things more cruel than doing that. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the pod, people have a sacred right to their pod. And and I don't want to be the guy to to take it. Yeah. And and as for as for those who claim we're gatekeeping, we're not gatekeeping, folks. We're podcasting. That's the opposite. <laughs> there you of go. There you go. We're saying things on these platforms that 
in, in way, open ways and transparent ways that haven't been said this way probably in all of human history. That's what's going on with podcasting is you have people telling the truth for uh, the first time ever to the whole, for anyone to hear. Um, You're doing ideally, the Lord's work. Ideally, that's what we're trying to do, right? Like, that's what people like is the unvarnished stuff. You know, when I've talked, when I've touched base with a few Gen Z kids, I know usually D&D players or whatever. Um, and I've asked them like about my approach and different things. Like they, they, they say they they really care about authenticity in a way that um, in the nineties we didn't like, you know, like we wanted our rock stars to be like Deus absconditus, like the distant gods that were far away from us yeah. and that we just got to it, touch liminally at their shows or when we bought their new album or listen to their music. Right. But the new generation, they want to see you setting up for the thing. They want to see the glitches and because right. that, that adds a level of, of significance and okay. truth to the entire experience that they, they otherwise would be suspicious of. So that's an interesting thing about these young kids these days, you know? Um, and uh, I agree, but I also enjoy it as a format because it allows people like you and I to essentially have, uh, conversation like two wizards over a table on a in a tavern on a windy night um, just sharing our truths and wisdom and what knowledge we've gleaned along the way and i thank well, you let's for, um for let's be thinking that. about planning for for episode two my, my wife is episode she came two to the door. Was... she's ready for me to get her to amen she so. she was very kind given the uh the the multiple attempts of we've taken to make this happen so yes we will talk episode two very soon and this has been part one let's call it part one part two to be resumed perhaps even with a little a little something extra on the table or yeah in the bloodstream we'll see folks so stay tuned and uh you know hopefully uh you everyone can can sign on to uh, be a part of our virtual or in-person cons uh, conference with pd newman and dr burns and others this summer so check that out it's gonna be great that's gonna be great i i want to see i want to see you and her and a few others be able to talk about this openly a roundtable style for for as long as needs to be done um as long as we can before we uh you know have a celebrate John D's birthday party, which will be the big, the big Saturday night fun thing. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I think we should wrap up the weekend with a, a small wake for Edward Kelly as well. You know, Irish style. Yeah. He was allegedly Irish nobility. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll let you go, brother. Thank you, PD Newman. And uh, folks like, and subscribe as they say. Um, and I'll see you very soon. My, my friend. Thank you.